I have the wonderful Dr. Alice Williamson in the studio today. Hello. Hello, how are you? I am very good, thank you. You've sent me a couple of articles, a bit of homework to read up on. And um, the first one really, really touched me in a kind of gross way. It's about public bathrooms. A lot of people kind of have that idea that public bathrooms are already pretty disgusting, unhygienic places. I'm normally a uh, wash my hands, use a paper towel person. If I don't have a paper towel, then uh, if it's not a Dyson Airblade, not one of those real fancy guys, I pretty much just wipe it on my pants. Ah, other hand dryers are available, by the way. But, yeah. um, <laughs> I, um, just, I don't like them. <laughs> so I, I'm not sure about the pant drying, but you might be onto a winner with your paper towel drying. Mm. Um, I might give a little warning for anyone to push their breakfast to one side for this story. <laughs> um, some researchers in the US have been trying to work out um, whether or not um, the use of hot air dryers or hand dryers is is a good thing mm. because they suspected that these air dryers might be sucking up some bacterial particulate or bacteria from the air and basically depositing that on the hands of people who are using the, the hot air dryers. Wow. Um, and a so hot they, bacteria cannon, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> so they decided to do a bit of research. So um, it's been known for for a while. Many of people will know this. That it's a really good idea to close the the lid of the toilet before flushing because the um, the things that are in the toilet can be spread into the air and can spread over about six square meters. So um, and that's good why idea. you should have um, those little covers on your toothbrushes. Or just close the lid of the loo. You know yeah, that's another okay. that's another hint. But these these researchers they set up in an American university a test where they um, they left some uh, Petri dishes with some agar inside to see if anything would grow inside these Petri dishes. And they left some in bathroom air for two minutes um, with no hand dryer. And they found that most of the, the Petri dishes grew either one colony of bacteria or no bacteria. But when they took some Petri dishes and placed them um, in the flow of hot air from a hand dryer for just 30 seconds, they found that one or two of the colonies grew up to 250. Uh, one or two of the dishes grew up, grew up to 250 colonies of bacteria. Oh. And most of them between 18 or 60 colonies of bacteria. Is that a normal number of well, bacteria? Well, there, there are a couple of um, issues with this study, but I'll, I'll take you through what they, what they tried to do next because they thought perhaps the um, it's just a case of any bacteria that's present multiplying in the in the warm air of the dryer so they decided to try and make this test a bit fairer so what they did is they blocked out they put a filter a very tiny filter called the HEPA filter which is a high efficient efficiency particulate um, air filter over the air dryer that basically would stop most of the bacteria from going into the hair dry, air dryer from from the air right and and then they measured um whether you know there was any bacteria growing in the dish and they found that when they did this the growth reduced by 75 percent so it did suggest that it was coming from the air rather than multiplying inside the hand dryer right the problem is that um some of this research well this research is done in uh, a university health sciences building so there are already likely to be people working with bacteria in the building so there's uh, probably going to be a few not a few controlled more strains. uh so yeah experiment so i think they probably need to do the same thing in you know kind of normal public toilet toilets you know around parks Go outside to a mall. 
and and check that out there. Yeah. Um, but the good news is that even though there's a lot of bacteria growing, and it does seem to be picked up from the air in the bathroom. Most of the bacteria that was picked up on was largely innocuous to healthy people. So with the exception of Staphylococcus aureus, which is pretty dangerous, everything else that was gathered is pretty safe as long as you're not already unwell. And that's why this research is so important for hospitals and areas where people are maybe immunocompromised. So thinking about ways that you can reduce the spread of germs in as many ways possible, this is why people do this research, is really to protect people who are vulnerable yeah. and try and prevent the spread of, of bacteria and unwanted infection. Because that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, isn't it kind of a good thing that we're exposed to uh, some dirty bacteria occasionally? That's kind of things that make us stronger and so it, more immune. Yeah. So I think there's there's a there's a there's a really interesting narrative about this, and and of course, um, we don't live in a sterile environment. It's important that we're exposed to different organisms that are around in the world in which we live so that we don't become very sick because we you know we, we can't stay in a sterile environment mm. but also we should minimize um any bacteria that can be harmful for especially for that humans. staphylococcus one yeah especially that one and also especially when we're coming into contact with people who are already unwell so that's why it's so important you know to obviously wash our hands so much when we are in hospitals and try and limit the spread of these infections that can have very very serious consequences so i guess this take-home message here is to to close the lid of the loo and little it, loo uh paper towels yeah use paper towels where possible um and wash your hands really well what if uh you wash your hands and then you just do the shake you don't wipe it on your pants you just shake and then kind of uh jazz hand air dry so i think people think that um not drying your hand can be problematic because some bacteria can continue to grow in 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 the presence of wet hands <sighs> you can't win but, but i think best best to dry them with a paper towel and to keep that lid firmly closed when flushing. Nice. You heard it here first from Dr. Alice Williamson for Up and Adam. We're going to be talking uh, lizards. It's uh, Up and Adam on Up For It This Morning with Dr. Alice Williamson. Hello. Hello. We chose King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Uh, we had a cheeky little giggle about it because we want to talk about lizards right now. Firstly, uh, we're talking about animal blood or blood of different types of animals there was a part of my brain that was like, yes, of course, animals have different coloured blood or some animals have different coloured blood. But then there was another part of my brain that didn't really believe it. So like octopi, they have blue blood or some of them do. And some insects have violet blood. But we found a lizard that has green blood. But it's kind of a confusing story. Is that right? Yeah, it is a bit confusing. So, yeah, you're right. There are different species of an animal that have different coloured blood. And the reason for this different colour of blood is, is due to the chemistry of that blood. It's due to the molecules that are responsible for carrying oxygen around the blood. And when they have different structures... All of them have metal at the centre, either copper or iron, which is really good at clinging on to oxygen and, and taking it round, which is good for us all. Um, those different structures can absorb and emit light in different ways, which leads to different colours. And that's why we see them in different colours. So it's not too unusual to see blood that's green or blue or red, of course, or violet. But yeah. what is unusual 
is to see green blood in a species that has hemoglobin as the molecule or as, as, as the, the, the unit that's carrying oxygen around the blood. Right, what's so, that? Well, we have hemoglobin in our blood. That's why our blood is red. It's, oh. ca- it's got iron at the centre. There's lots of nitrogens involved that are clinging onto this iron, which is carrying oxygen around our blood. And there are species uh, or five four or five species of lizards that were found in New Guinea that have green blood, but they also use haemoglobin to carry blood around the body. And usually that would mean that your blood would be red. So this was a bit of a surprising find. Yeah, how could this be possible? Well, it's actually because of a build-up of, uh, of, a, of a substance in the blood that is one of the, the products of getting rid of red blood cells. So red blood cells stay alive for about four months and then they're recycled in their body and they actually are transformed into a substance called bilivadin, um, first of all, and then to bilirubin. And these substances are green and yellow. That's actually the reason why when you bruise yourself, you see these kind of green and yellow pigments yeah, coming out. Cool. Because as those blood cells die, die yeah. that's the colours that come out. It's also the reason that you see um, yellow skin in people who have jaundice. It's the build-up of these molecules. So if you uh, get a bruise, is that you killing blood cells before they were ready to die? Well, that's one way to think about it, I guess. That's a bit grisly. <laughs> but I think they've, you know, those blood cells have come to the surface and they're no longer transporting oxygen around the circulatory system. So then they perhaps start to, to die a bit, a, a little bit um a little bit soon. Yeah, cool. But um, those uh, that buildup of those 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 uh, products is is important because it helps to get rid of or recycle these substances in the body. But they're really toxic, so that's why jaundice is so dangerous. They're mm. things that are in a healthy body are processed by the liver, and we get rid of them so that we we don't die really. Right. And what they've found in um, these species of lizards in New Guinea, and this is this is there's three stages to this story really. Um, back in the late 60s, in 1969, two biologists found um, these species of lizard, three lizards, where their whole insides were green. They had green bones, their blood was green, what? their muscles were green, and it was a little bit bizarre. And then in the mid-90s, um, a scientist confirmed that the presence of this, this green pigment in the, in the blood was due to the build-up of this toxic byproduct. And actually, there was haemoglobin there, but the concentrations of this green pigment was so great that it was kind of washing out the red colour, so huh. drowning out the red colour. And then they started to think, well, how are these creatures surviving? Because... Um, the quantities that were found in some of these species were about 20 times the maximum concentration that's been found in, in humans. And that amount is fatal to humans. Right. So how are these creatures surviving with this, with this high level of toxin? And also, why has this happened? Why do they need it even? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So some people thought, well, this has probably only evolved once. Um, because it's quite a strange thing to observe. But some recent research um, looking at some Australasian lizards and comparing the genetic sequence of some of these green species has shown that this has probably evolved a few times, which is a little bit unusual. Um, There is a possibility that it could have evolved once and then gone back to red or something like that, but they're going to look into that in a bit more detail. But what it suggests, if this has evolved several times, then there must be some really big evolutionary advantage for these lizards in having this large amount of toxin in their blood. And that's what people are trying to understand now. Right. 
And so that's what they're doing the research on right now? Well, they're looking at this. So the, the paper that came out last week was actually on the evolutionary um, steps that it had ev- that this trait had evolved four times because of the genetic analysis that's been done. But people are now, um, you know, trying to think a bit more, bit more um, kind of clearly about why this might have happened. And one of the things that you look for in these evolved traits is to see whether they've evolved to, to better adapt to a climate. But the thing that's funny about these different species of lizards is that they live in different environments. Some live quite high up, some live at sea level. Um, some of them um, uh, lay eggs, some of them give birth to live young, so they're quite different in that way. They're I didn't different. even think that they're... lizards had different options. Yeah, so there's, there's, there's options out there, they're wow. different colours. <laughs> so one of the things that they have noticed about these green-blooded lizards mm. is that they carry a species of malaria that red-blooded lizards don't. So they're infected by one form of the malaria parasite that red-blooded lizards aren't. And that's quite interesting because um, there are about five species of malaria that affect humans, but hundreds that affect lizards. Oh, no. So one of the ideas is that perhaps, even though they carry this species of malaria that um, isn't carried by other lizards, it could have been evolved to try and combat parasites. So it's found that this, this, this kind of toxin is actually quite good at killing other forms of the malaria parasite and perhaps this has led them to survive or to not be affected by other forms of parasite so there's still research to be done in this area definitely but and to try and understand why this might be but one of the one of the ideas could be that is to you know combat these parasites but i think the other thing that could be quite interesting is if you can if we if scientists can work out how these lizards have survived how they've not been killed by this toxin um, excuse me, then maybe there could be ways to look at ways to f- to fight malaria or mm. even to combat things like jaundice, which can obviously be very dangerous in people who have problems with their liver or in young babies. Yeah. So um, it will be exciting to see where this research goes and all from these green-blooded lizards that were discovered in the late 60s. They're very special and very unique and they sound like they could be very useful in the future. Uh, thank you so much for bringing these lizards in to talk about today for Up and Adam, Dr. Alice Williamson. I'll uh, catch you next week. See you next week.